It's your American patriot, DJ Drew Shelton. With insight and analysis of today's rapidly shifting world, we welcome you to the Jewess Patriot Show. Talk Radio's premier Jewish activist, Cindy Gross. Featuring exclusive interviews with today's top newsmakers and trendsetters. Remember, you don't have to be Jewish to be with Cindy. And now, coming from our WGBB studios in the tri-state area, your Jewess patriot, Cindy Gross. Hello and welcome to a very important episode of the Jewess Patriot. I am your host, Cindy Gross, today's premier Jewish women activist, talking about the issues that concern Jews and non-Jews. And I'm very happy to tell you that the countdown is on. We've been talking about this for two years, and now we're days away from finding out who will be the winners in the midterm. Will the House change? Will the Senate change? And who will decide to run for the White House in 2024? Join me in my opening pearls of wisdom because I am Zisel Peril, sweet pearl in Yiddish. Yes, it's the final countdown. And I'm telling you to take advantage of every minute to that countdown. There's no reason to rush to the polls you will be able to vote in person safely on election day. And take advantage of all the news that comes out, all the opinions that come out, all the videos and TikToks and all those social media posts that you see, because people want to make a statement. People are angry. And they are going to take action to make sure that their anger is heard at the polls. We can no longer trust pollsters. We can no longer trust mainstream media. We can no longer trust opinion pieces. Some people don't trust me. I've been called an anti-Semite. But I can tell you this much. Between now and November 8th, people are looking everywhere to be able to have that scoop of dirt on a candidate they don't like. If you see someone not debating or debating too late, that should tell you lots. That should tell you a lot about the organization that they are running. That should tell you about their past. That should tell you about what they would do in the future with your taxpayer dollars. Democracy is in everyone's hands. Be smart. And use it safely and carefully. Every election we say it is the most important election of our lifetime. And I'm telling you, this is the most important election of our lifetime because of the two years of leadership of Joe Biden. This is no longer a D versus R. It is survival of America. We have Another great lineup of candidates I want you to meet who are projected to win. Hey, 
as promised, I am bringing to you the most exclusive latest updates that we can give you from Israel from a Knesset member. That's like our senators and congressmen, for those who don't know what the Knesset is. And remember, this is taped and things change by by the minute. So we are very honored to have N.K. Sharon Haskell, who I had the pleasure of meeting both in the United States and Israel during multiple times, better occasions than now. And she has been at the forefront of uh, sharing news around the world from Israel, from the uh, ground. She is at the bases. She is meeting with the families. She knows exactly what is going on. She is one of the youngest people ever uh, elected to office in the Knesset. She is in the National Unity Party. What what a perfect term for the world, national unity. We need that now more than ever. And her work has been recognized in the United States by the Jewish Journal as one of the most influential uh, Jewish women in the world in 2016. That's how long she's been fighting this battle for unity and peace. So thank you so much for joining us. And uh, please, first of all, Stay safe and stay healthy and stay strong. We need your work. We need your voice. Thank you, Sydney. And thank you so much for uh, inviting me to your show. I am honored to have you. I wish it was for better occasions, but yeah. we need to be honest with our audience, with our followers to get out the truth because what's going on in Israel, Israel is just the first step of the grand plan of ending democracy. Israel is just the first step of a plan of changing the world, changing the map of the Middle East. So tell us what you can share with us in a, you know, for a general audience about what is going on. Um, so you, you're absolutely right. I mean, this is the clash of civilizations. Um, what we've seen on the horrifying Saturday attack um, is the start of probably the first days of the Iran-Israel or the Iran-American war. Iran basically sent one of its proxies into the state of Israel, infiltrating the border uh, and uh, invading 22 towns and cities and just massacring going from house to house, butchering entire families, raping women, beheading babies, the descriptions, the, the GoPro cameras that were on those terrorists uh, while, while they did those atrocities, while filming it and putting it up on social media, celebrating it. I think it's, you know, you could, we never thought that we will border an ISIS, a Nazi organization, that its only goal is to murder as many Israelis, as many Jews as possible. Um, and so we were confronted as we are in the front line in the Middle East. Um, we had a war declared on the way we live, on our values on the sanctity of life. I mean, those values that we share of liberty, freedom, equality, freedom of religion, those the sanctity of life. 
These are values that dictate the way we live. This is the character of the way we live. And they declared war on that. And that was by radical Islam. What we've seen in Iraq, in ISIS, Al-Qaeda, Boko Haram, in Yemen, um, these are proxies of that group of radical Islam who is trying to take over the world. They're not hiding it. They have already created terrorist attacks in Europe, in America, in South America. They have bases. They have uh, uh, headquarters. They have troops in these areas. And so uh, uh, um, Israel is just the front line. And we were forced into a war to defend our people, defend our country, but defend our value, our values and the way we live. Defend our democracy. So I have to tell you, I'm very upset about that there's not a much attention brought to this that you could probably elaborate more on. People don't understand that the kibbutzes that were attacked near the border, I was there, you of course have been there. There are factories there and businesses like Halvar and wines and all kinds of things. And the people, the Israelis that owned those companies hired the people across the border in Gaza and uh Arabs and Muslims, trusting them, giving them a life they couldn't have from the Palestinian government. And what happened? Many of these people took advantage behind the scenes and played like they were friends. And instead, they made maps of their houses. They... They uh made diaries of their families, their dogs, their cats, and they were betrayed. And that betrayal is not expressed enough and told enough that the p- very people that were raped and murdered and burnt were the ones helping those people more than the Arab governments. Absolutely. I mean, um the two women who were released, uh, they were, they were hostages of, uh, Hamas and they were in Gaza and there were two, um, elderly, uh, I think one is 86 years old and one must be, I think, 79 years old. Um, they were held hostages and they were taken into Gaza. Both of them used to go into the border pick up Palestinians who needed to attend the hospitals in Israel, drive them and their family members to the hospitals in Israel, okay, and then bringing them back to the border. Um, um, let me give you a one, one story. Um, there's a uh, town called Nativa Sarah. And in Nativa Sarah, there was one uh, Gazan citizen uh, who was sort of uh, adopted by this town. They felt sorry for him, and they supplied him with work. They made sure that he always has a permit to come in. The times where the borders were tough and there were, uh, you know, uh, confrontations, he used to stay over in that town, sleep over. They used to look after all of these needs, pay him really well so that he doesn't need to worry about anything. But they didn't know. That when he was looking after their houses, when when they called him to help with a plumbing problem or to help in their garden, and they paid him, um, he was mapping 
their homes. He was mapping who are the citizens, what are they doing, what it, what are their work, how their house look, where is the security room, who has weapon, who doesn't have weapon. He just mapped everything for Hamas. And they knew exactly where to go, who to murder first. Uh, you know, they knew everything. They had maps uh, uh, in their uh, body suits describing every single detail in the day-to-day lives. Uh, so we, we only now understand the gravity and, 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 you know, the vicious enemy that we have straight on our border. And within our, in our country and within our home, that's even worse. Yeah. So there's yeah. been a lot of, um, discussion in the media in America about that the Israel is going to share actual footage from the terrorists that they've been able to, um, obtain as they've been, uh, gathering the terrorists and, uh, questioning them. That is just so brutal that they want the world to see it. We really haven't seen much yet. Is it going to be released, do you think? Well, I, it was already some of the footage was released um, to some reporters. Uh, there was, I think, about an hour of footage. I think not many were lasted more than 40 minutes, 30-something. Uh, uh, some of them left after a few minutes. You just couldn't help, and they couldn't look on those images and those actions. You need to understand these are horrifying acts. These things are, the, you know, the... You cannot be human and do something like that. And one of the scenes that a, uh, a person who's seen some of the most severe things, you know, they've been uh, taking out corpses and bodies from very dangerous and very difficult scenes, and um, they were they were broken. One scene was of a pregnant woman that her belly was cut out. Her baby was out, stabbed, and the mother was shot afterwards. That I, that has been, uh, at least in New York and the Jewish community, shared. My biggest concern right now is not to think about what happened, how this happened, but what are going to be the next steps and what's going to be, how will this change Israel in the future and how... American Jews, we see all of a sudden all around the world these pro-Palestinian, and I say most of these people are just paid by the same people who paid for Black Lives Matter and Occupy Wall Street just to end democracy. So my concern is how are we going to get younger people And we have this problem in America because we also have borders where everybody comes to America and we help them out and they don't appreciate America. How's this going to change the history of Israel, America, and democracy? This attack has changed. Yeah. This attack has, has changed everything, but everything. We have to change the equation in our area if we want to live here. We understand that those people who committed those crimes, those crimes against humanity, cannot be in our border. If they did it once, they can do it again. And no other country can live beside an ISIS organization, a Nazi organization that is slaughtering and beheading babies. And this is what we have to make sure. Now, Hamas is not the only proxy of Iran. 
uh, Iran has many proxies in the Middle East. And so that might turn into a multi-front war. We understand that. I hope that Iran doesn't press the red button. Because if Iran pressed the red button and move its its proxies all around the Middle East, this is going to turn to a much bigger arena, including allies who are going to step into the picture, and that will probably turn into the first Iran-American war. You know, the, it's going to be basically not around American. It's going to be really World War Three because don't forget how many countries are represented in that group of hostages. How many European nations, part of NATO, have hostages there? Once you're going to attack but, one but NATO it, country, but Sydney, Sydney, it's not just that. You need to understand Hezbollah. That's an army of Iran. It's funded, trained, right. operated by Iranian commands. Now, Hezbollah is not just located in, in, in the south of Lebanon and controlling the country. I mean, it's a direct threat on our country, on Israel. And if they, and I hope they won't attack us through the border, they will force us to turn Beirut into Gaza. We will not hesitate to defend our people, but... Hezbollah is not restricted just to the south, to to Lebanon. Hezbollah had one of its biggest headquarters in Canada until they were kicked out of there. Uh, Hezbollah is located in Europe. Hezbollah has many headquarters in South America and Central America where they have Iranian operatives from there. They've had terrorist attacks. They've been accumulating weapons. They are the biggest... uh, um, exporter and importer of weapons and drugs, okay? So this is not just Israel's problem. This is the problem of Europe. This is a problem of America. This is a problem of Canada. This is a problem of South America and Central America as well. And the world will have to decide whose side are they on. Radical Islam that is trying to take over the world, literally butchering women, and children enforcing their dark way of life on our lives? Or are they on the side of the democracy, of the of the people who are fighting for the liberty, for equality? Because when I see those marches in Chicago and in Philadelphia and in San Francisco, and they're marching for Hamas, I see the LGBT community marching for Hamas. If they step into their regime, if they step into Gaza, they will be hanged from the trees like the rest of the LGBTQ community there. They'll be thrown off roofs. And they're marching for those kind of values, for that kind of darkness. Is this the world that they want to live in? Well, that's a good place to stop because we have to get to a commercial. I just want to thank you, Knesset member Sharon Heskel. Stay safe. Please come back. You are welcome. We need updates regularly. And I'm Yisrael El-Chai. And may we have good news from Israel very soon. Thank you so much for Thank joining you so the much, Jewish Cindy. Patriot.
Welcome back. I'm so honored to have with us a very special group of award-winning talent who is working on a very important dinner that couldn't be more timely because we always used to say never again, never again, and we all got very complacent in our lives, and recent current events made us aware that we must never uh, forget and we must be educated and alert so that it will never be again. So I'm very honored that uh, to bring to you today Clay Farman, the critically acclaimed screenwriter of Defiance, the keynote speaker, Edward Zwick, Academy Award-winning filmmaker, and master of ceremony, Mark Furistein, who you recognize from many TV and film parts. And we are here to discuss the Jewish Partisan Educational Foundation's dinner that they are hosting on Monday, November 13th in New York City, uh, honoring the movie of Defiance. And for me and for the studio, we are neighbors with the uh, many of the family members of the Biaski family who will be at the event. So thank you all for joining us. Thank you all for your participation. Uh, participation uh, in the event, and I'm going to start off with um, I'll start off with Ed. Tell us the movie why it was important to you, and why being a part of this organization and this uh, gathering. Well, um, I think that as a as a little boy, I uh, really was i think kept a, kept away from some of the notions of what the holocaust meant um you know my grandparents and all of the relatives would sort of stop talking about it as i walked into the room and as i got older and i saw these images of what um had taken place in the holocaust i i remember most of all what i remember feeling is shame and i i guess that uh it really wasn't until I got much older that I realized um, what some of the revisionist history had tried to uh, create because I had always loved heroes. I'd always been drawn to heroes and the heroes were always comic book heroes. They were, uh, you know, Superman and Batman, but there wasn't Jewish man. You know, there wasn't, there wasn't a, a hero of that I could understand um, in the same context as that shame. And then it was Clay who brought me, um, an article um, uh, about the Bielskis. Um, it was when Tuvia died, in fact, and that began uh, a whole odyssey that that led to to this movie. It's funny you said your description. That was kind of how I was brought up. I was brought up among second and third generation Jews, and we didn't really know much about the Holocaust. And then. I married a man whose whole family was in the Holocaust, and I, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have a 97-year-old mother-in-law who's still alive, and I can't believe she's living through these times when she was in the camps and has to listen and hear what's going on around the world today, this worldwide anti-Semitism that's crazy, and, and the massacres going on, that's not... In some ways, people are saying it's even, you know, we can't compare, of course, situations, but... No one could believe it's happening now. So tell us, Clay, how you went to Ed and what intrigued you to write this story. Well, I um, I came from a family where my dad, as an American Army officer, had liberated 
the first concentration camps that the Allies found. And so, you know, there was a footlocker in our basement, and he would open it and show my brother and I all of this stuff, but in a voice that uh, was uh, devoid of anger and more like, you know, this is the stuff that happened. So I, I took that. And then I thought this story, which I found in an obituary, I said, well, this is a story that is, first of all, I was raised on World War II movies, as were Mark and Ed. And we, we, you know, The Great Escape, The Bridge on the River Kwai, even The Dirty Dozen, there, there were so many, Guns of Navarone. And so this story was so unique that I'd never heard of Jewish partisans. And here was an obituary, and it pointed to this book. And then I, I know Ed, Ed and I have known each other's work since, I mean, we've known each other since we were about 12 years old because our, we were at the same, our grandfathers were part of the same founders group at the big conservative synagogue on the North Shore of Chicago. So we've known each other all this time. And we would always say, what are you reading? What are you doing? As we would write films and make films and for years. And I just thought, frankly, that Ed was a great idea for this movie because of our shared background, our shared feeling about this kind of material, and also that he could pull off both the intimate relationship stuff and the bigger action pieces. Not everybody can do that. So I immediately thought of that he would be the right guy. And I thought, and I was right. So we were at a Dodgers game together and I started pitching him this story of these brothers. And, you know, um, I had nine innings. I had, you know, (laughs) he couldn't go anywhere. And so that's where we began looking at what this might be. I mean, a real difficult movie to make, to get made. Everything about it was difficult. But frankly, that's what Ed is about. The things that he's been doing for years are extremely difficult to get made. Things like Glory and things, Legends of the Fall and those films. So I just thought he was the right guy for for all of these reasons. So just to recap, which one of you would like to just give a brief summary about the story of Defiance for those that don't know it? Oh, I think Mark would be great for that. Ah! (laughs) Yeah, go to the actor. Of course. Are you kidding me? Please (laughs) give it to Clay, the screenwriter. Please. (laughs) Go, Clay. Do it. The the essence of the story was these three brothers in a small town, a small shtetl in Belarus, the only Jewish family in this shtetl, when the Germans invaded Russia in, I believe, uh, June of 1941, surprise attack, um, these three brothers decided they weren't going to report to the Germans or go to the ghetto or do, they were going to go run off into the woods and which they knew growing up and they were tough and resourceful boys. And what they did instead of saving just them, their, themselves was they began one by one, two by two, 
bringing other people out into the forest and trying to establish some kind of camp. And they did everything they could. They, they aligned with the Russian partisans who would have killed them. And they brought in women and old people and they would otherwise have been dead. So incrementally, they created a community in the middle of the forest and they began sabotage with the Russian partisans against the Germans. And by the end of the war, there were 1,200 of them. So before I get to Mark, I just want to tell everybody a little bit about why this organization is important to me. I am an educator, and I believe that there are many Holocaust organizations, and every one of them is good. But the Jewish Partisan Educational Foundation has guides for children, for adults, about teaching. And the most important thing is with the partisans, people just thought Jews just gave up and, and went to the gas, you know, the ovens and didn't fight back. But there are people that fight back. And we have to remember that's been one of the reasons we've survived all of this. And so it's very important that we have this organization. And with that, I'm going to go to the master of ceremonies who really must like it. He comes back for more of it. Mark, thank you again for joining us. It's my joy and my pleasure, and I can't believe the serendipity of this very horrific moment for our people and our homeland that we're talking about this movie about a bunch of tough, hard-nosed Jews who fought back, because that is what Israel is in a nutshell. That is what our Israeli army is, and it's because of them that Israel will not take what just happened lying down and will exact its more than a pound of flesh. I don't mean that like I'm going to be thrilled when innocent women and children and soldiers die. Well, but it's, um, it's a tough country and we are all, I know on this Zoom at least standing with Israel right now. And it's horrifying to watch, you know, some of the things going on in this country, but for sure, everything we've been watching over the last few days. And it's nice to be in a group talking about uh, another group that came way before all of us who fought back. So I will, I'm, oh, I was just going to say, I will tell you that I've been nonstop working with people. And I will tell you, this is really uniting people that you never thought would want to join together. People with common sense that realize what they're seeing and hearing is not what we can't even believe this. And people are calling me, especially a lot of my non-Jewish followers, what they can do. I mean, I'm raising money. I'm talking directly to people in Israel, how to get supplies from the supermarkets and everything. And it's going to make Jews stronger. It's going to make common sense people stronger. And good versus evil is at is at play here and good always wins. And I'm sorry, Ed, now what were you going to no, say? I, I, I was just going to touch on, I think, which is the third rail point that Mark, um, you know, uh, was uh, getting closer to. And it also pertains to this movie because there is a dialectic in this movie. And the dialectic was between these two brothers, one of whom believed that his job was to save people and the other of whom believed was his job was revenge. And I think that it is it is a moment um, that 
in the midst of all of this that we have to keep in mind uh, that dialectic because there is the temptation to think of this in terms of a pound of flesh. And I think, you know, I have some very particular thoughts as to how we got to this moment. And I actually think that one reason we got to this moment, frankly, had to do with a certain amount of um, of uh, severity and austerity, even on the part of Israel. So, uh, you know, even in the midst of the, this horror, I just think it does behoove us to be mindful about that which violence which we are going to partake of and and is absolutely natural to feel the the inclination toward is going to further exacerbate and is in some sense is exactly the result that the terrorists want their their intention because they have no sense of the value of human life and they know that the 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 violence will be rained down upon innocence that their intention was to solicit a as big a violent response as they could because that is the guarantor of their political power within gaza and i just think that that it's just it just really that this has to be part of the dialogue as we go forward uh i'm not suggesting that there that there there can't be the kind of um uh, strength and 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 peace in strength, but I do think that that that's part of it. And there's one one more thing just to throw it out into this conversation that I've just been thinking about, and that is, we always say never forget. The difference right now is that those images, those horrific images, are being seen everywhere. And when you know the story about what happened in 1936 to 19, you know, 45. Those images were denied, they were ignored, and they were even hidden by people, that, even in this country. And none of this can be hidden now. No. And I think in the court of public opinion, as horrific a thing as these monsters did, they've revealed themselves in a way that can't be denied. And it can't be described as being a political action or as being an action on behalf of, 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 of a country. And and I think that's going to have an effect, a knock-on effect down the road to your friends who are the non-Jews seeing this and to other people who may have otherwise had a different response is to look at what these actions are. And I think that's going to be something that we're going to be watching down the road as well. I'll tell you the best images I've had, and then I'm going to go to Mark, are the ones of the Israeli Arabs in in uniform fighting for Israel against Hamas, because this mm-hmm. is not what the world should be seeing as every Arab. This is terrorism. This is not the Middle East that is everyday Israel. If you know Palestinians who do live in Israel, and they're not Palestinians, but they're Israeli Arabs who partake in the government, who have jobs. Mark, what were you going to say? Um, I, I'm sure we all have personal relationships to Israel um, I just wanted to share mine briefly because it touches on the solidarity of the partisans in the forests of Belarus. My cousin Goldie lives on a kibbutz right on the border of Gaza, and she and her three children and her husband Eldad crawled into their safe room when they heard gunshots and bombs, and they were there for many, many hours 
sweating because electricity was gone after an hour, just, you know, fearing for their lives and, and trying to keep their three children occupied. One with movies on a phone, one was crying, the other was sleeping miraculously. But eventually they found that they could, they tried three times to open the door and they were so scared, but they finally did. And they saw, you know, that many members of their kibbutz had been killed or were missing. And then the ones who were still alive crawling out and then wandering and finding an Israeli soldier, but they weren't, you know, they, they weren't there in their time of need. And this is something that people like my cousin are a little critical of that we were so caught with our pants down, which, you know, how much can we, can we stay on the judgment of that? We could talk about it, but I mean, that's like, going to happen later. I think right now we have something more imminent, but of course those questions are going to be asked as to what happened. Well, it, it just brings home to me how much this brother and sisterhood in the forests of Belarus needed each other and how much they were all there for each other. And in the movie, you can bet Zusha and Tuvia and Ariel are right there ready to protect their brothers and sisters. And my cousin just brought home to me how important that is. I just want to remind everybody that the event is going to be taking place on Monday, November 13th in New York City. You can get tickets on the uh, website for the Jewish Educational Foundation, uh, Foundation, Jewish Partisan Educational Foundation. And I also want to tell everybody they have on the Sunday before a, a special screening of Defiance at the Directors Guild of America in New York City. Uh, I actually went to one of the screenings. They really are very exciting. I already saw on uh, Facebook and I've seen, I guess, on other social media outlets that people could sign up for it. And um, I am going to let you know that uh, I believe some of you are going to be there in person. Yeah, uh, yes, for sure. And I think um, we were getting a little mention of the website where you can go to sign up, which is www.jewishpartisans.org. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. That's why you have such a good master of ceremonies. <laughs> So a little bit about each one of you. You are all very well known. I mean, I remember 30 something. So, and, uh, how that revolutionized television and, um, Mark, of course, in her shoes. Thank you. Christ's favorite Jewish lawyer. And of course, but also once and again, another brilliant series from Zwick and Marshall Herskovitz, who, you know, we should name because he's a great writer. And partner. And uh, so tell us all, Clay, what are you doing now? What are some of the projects you're working on? <laughs> well, we just finished a five month strike. Correct. <laughs> right. But I know some of recovering. my friends so, in Hollywood were like, yeah, they're not working, but they're thinking ahead. So the minute the strike ended. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, I've, uh, I, you know, there's about three or four projects that I keep, you know, pushing the big rock up the tall hill. And, um, hopefully one of them will, you know, happen. It's, we, we've, we've, you know, as I said, these are, these are the stories that we seem to be interested in are, 
are always challenging. We're not people who generally, you know, move towards comic book things. And so, uh, you know, I can talk about them, but I'd rather let them happen. And We can't wait to uh, see them because everybody's so excited for new material. And Ed, what's your next project? Uh, yeah, um, we, we were one day away from beginning to shoot a sequel to 30 something the day that COVID, um, was mm. basically declared, um, uh, the end of, of all things and, and, and everything was shut down. Uh, we've spent years since then ruining that day. There's a possibility that we'll find it again. The story really is, is, um, the, rather sort of ironic situation we all find ourselves in in having children now who are in their 30s and comparing our lives then to their lives now and to think of what it is now to be the parents in that equation um uh, at one sense hovering too close and another sense embarrassing them terribly um <laughs> and so that's that's something that, that exists uh we've also been in the middle we're right in the middle of an adapting a novel by Stephen King uh, it was a novel last year called Billy Summers, and we're back doing that now. And uh, we'll go through all the hell of getting another movie made. And and that just seems to be our lot in life. Do you think because of all the streaming that's going on and so much competition, there's going to be a lot of projects going on? There's so much, no, so much more of an arena than there was before. Well, it's going to be a very interesting time because what the, 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 the behind the strike – was an economic reality that these um, multinational corporations thought that streaming was going to be the future um, and, and the golden calf, that it was going to bring streams, not just of, of programming, but money. And they discovered that everybody jumped in and the amount of competition and the glut in the market created the opposite effect, where their economics were upside down. So at the same time that we all made deals and the actors will make a deal that will be better for them, individually as an industry i think there's going to be a kind of um consolidation i think the big fish are going to eat the some smaller fish and i think uh one legacy might be better pay but for less work and i think that is probably um if i were to you know, bet on one thing it would be that so it will be both both good and very difficult and mark I, we see you a lot now on the Sex and the City reruns since the show was alive on HBO. <laughs> oh, my God. Cindy, if you knew what that was, when my father told the rabbi in our community, Mark's going to be on Sex and the City. And then I'm in bed with Miranda, and she says to me, you know where the clitoris is? And I say, yeah. And she goes, it's two inches from where you think it is. And my father's getting a call from Rabbi Einstein. Harvey, what is this show you made us watch? <laughs> not great. It was not a great moment. And what projects are you currently exploring or working on now that the strike is over? I also just wanted to acknowledge Ed's brilliant use of a biblical uh, image of the golden calf. Like, did you see how he weaves that in there? Oh, so natural. I mean, you're I a just, genius. I, I just, I was reading the room, Mark. How do you do it? How do you do it? <laughs> um, okay, so two things I want to share that I have. Uh, coming out sometime in the future. One is a show for MGM Plus that was created by the guy who created Narcos. His name is Chris Brancato. It's set in Miami in 1978. Um, the Mutiny Club was a real hotel. It was sort of the Rick's Cafe 
of Miami at that time. And it's where all the rock stars did their drugs and where all the drug dealers, the cocaine cowboys sold their drugs. And I play Burton Greenberg, the owner of that hotel. It's really a fun show. It'll come out hopefully on MGM plus in the coming year. Uh, it was supposed to be January, but we still have four episodes to shoot in the Dominican Republic. So we'll see when it comes out. The other one is a low budget indie movie that may never see the light of day, but I just wanted to share that I get to play a badass rabbi who it was based on the shooting at Paulway. And it's a rabbi who learns how to shoot a gun and fight back. And it's sort of like Chinatown meets the chosen set in a desert town where there are some skinheads terrorizing our congregation. And I learn how to fight back. And it's just a nice analog or parallel to our movie because it's about a tough Jew. So I have some advice for you with that one. Go online and watch all the Chabad rabbis who are now fighting in Israel in their uniform. There you go. Okay, great. I'm going to do it. Again, I want to thank all of you for coming on. And I want to remind everybody, more than ever before, education is key. Knowledge is power. And so that we never have what happened in the Holocaust. You have two events in New York to see the movie and then to go to the dinner, meet these lovely people and learn more about defiance. The Jewish Partisan Educational Foundation, November 12th and 13th. Go on their website, www.jewishpartisans.org. Get tickets. Go on social media. I already saw it myself. I have friends who signed up for the events. And I want to thank Ed, Clay, Mark, and everybody who's involved at the organization and for bringing us the important story of defiance. And just remember... We don't give up so easily, and we're going to win again and again. Amen. Thank you, Cindy. Thank you. Great to see you guys. Welcome back here. I am your American Patriot DJ, Drew Shelton. Always an honor to be a part of this program, the Jewess Patriot with Cindy Gross. And uh, you know how we always end our show. And it, it's simply uh, giving you a song of hope, uh, a song of encouragement to, to keep fighting, to keep going, to, to keep pressing on. And uh, I'm just going to play you a song right now, another one like we have the last few weeks ever since the attacks uh, on Israel uh, going back to October 7th. You know, we we need peace uh, now more than ever. And this is called One Day. And one day we, we want peace. And that one day is now. Until we talk again, love someone, be kind, and choose joy. See ya. Sometimes I lay under the moon. I thank God I'm breathing. And I pray, don't take me soon. Cause I am here for a reason. Sometimes in my tears I drown. But I never let it get me down So when negativity surrounds I know someday it'll all turn
This is Cindy Gross, the Jewess Patriot. I look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks for watching the Jewish Patriot Show with Talk Radio's premier Jewish activist, Cindy Gross. Be sure to download Cindy's next program, as well as previous ones, available internationally on iHeartRadio, Spotify, and in Israel on Jewish Podcasts. See you next time on the Jewish Patriot Show.